0: Live, juicy, inside scoop from the tastemakers, newsmakers, bread bakers, drink shakers, spoon lickers, clam diggers, farms, foodies, and friends of the food and beverage magazine world. Here are your hosts, Jennifer English and Michael Politz.
1: Hello.
2: Hello. Oh, I didn't know that
1: you were there. I was reading a chapter on you. I didn't
2: realize we were live. How are you?
1: Well, I'm reading a chapter out of my book, and I'm learning so much.
2: Your brand-new, just-published, best-selling book called?
1: Food and Beverage Magazine's Guide to Restaurant Success, available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, and Books a Million. This is an awesome book, by
2: the way. way,
3: Hmm?
2: If people listen to our intro, I am Mm -hmm. still waiting for the publicist, for the spoon lickers, to contact us.
1: I don't even know what a spoon liquor is, but more importantly, <laughs> I got a call today from the, from one of the heads of UNLV Hospitality School, and they're making my book yes. a, requir- a requirement to read for the hospitality school.
2: Because that's for? how – Yes.
1: For the, we, the, one, the building that we were at, you and I, that day. Yeah. What are you Chinese eating?
2: So I'm eating yes. some of the most delicious Pad Thai I've ever I just had.
1: ordered it. I just ordered Pad Thai. And more wonton soup because everybody's away. I'm not supposed to eat sugar or carbs. If they're away, they won't know that I'm eating it. They're not going to watch this, but God knows that. So I'm excited that we're going to be eating the same thing. I wish well, it would come in, in a container like yours. They, for some reason, Vegas, they put them in those plastic containers. Don't eat plastic
3: food. <laughs> Listen, we
1: what, do we, what do we got on for the show today? We because know why I know I, I've got a special guest, my special friend.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And you have, a, you have other people too, right?
2: And I have a special friend.
1: All right, but what about Clara? Is she your first special friend or mom? No,
2: she's our keynote speaker.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, she's what, is that? what is first, I, did I do? I hit the wrong button.
2: No, really, seriously, Clara Pay. We got to find out uh, how she got started in this. Because All right, she, so what? we bring her on. a category that is right now, uh, it's white hot. White hot. And
1: and I'm saying. Let's find what, you, what is the category.
2: We're going to talk about that right now. We're going to bring her live on Food and Beverage Magazine Live. The founder of Unite Foods, Clara Pay, how are you?
4: Hey, I'm fantastic. Thanks so much for the great intro. I hope I special. You don't mean the short bus special, but you mean like special, like
1: meaningful special. No, no. No, we meant we the short bus. <laughs>
2: Lara, I am so sorry. He has been on a tear all week long. It's like when Ed McMahon used to get a little constipated and it threw the whole Tonight Show off
5: with Johnny Carson. (laughs) I don't mind. I am super excited
2: to to talk to you. I'm super excited to meet you. And I'm super excited to introduce people to Unite Foods because you were doing something amazing at a time when companies – And food entrepreneurs are looking for inspirations to imagine their own next chapter in whatever the food business is. And you have reinvented just ahead of the curve. So you look like you buy your crystal ball at the most prestigious crystal ball store in the universe. Let's talk a little bit. How on earth did you get into this just at the right time?
4: um serendipity um it's just so funny because i spent the past 17 years running a plumbing manufacturing business plumbing and hardware distribution and so that couldn't be any further from food and beverage but i stumbled across um the idea for unite kind of through personal experience the way like a lot of food products are yeah. born and um, so you find what you wanted super frustrating, right? So I busy executive, I lived at my desk and didn't always have time to take a lunch break. And so I always relied on nutrition and energy bars to kind of bridge me and give me the feel to get through my day. But I never really liked them. And, you know, I'm kind of a foodie and always been a home cook. And, just didn't like the flavor of most of them. And I couldn't figure out why, because it's a huge category. Lots of people eat them.
2: And I'm going to interrupt you because I think it's important to remind people this is not a new category. No. And and you could argue that it was ripe for a disruption, but who knew it was? Well,
4: you know, and so I just come at food and beverages from a completely different perspective. I'm not, you know, I didn't grow up in CPG. I'm, you know, I'm not, uh, so I'm coming as an outsider with a unique right, perspective. Right. And the problem that I had was really flavor and flavor differentiation. So when I looked at the category, I realized that like, why is everyone making the exact same flavors on repeat? Different iterations. They're all vanilla and chocolate and mint and a berry and a birthday cake or an orange.
1: Life is so vanilla, Clara, isn't it? Why? So vanilla. Well,
3: listen, I don't Why don't we, do
1: we have way. any of this food? Did you get a box, Jennifer, to show? And, it's, on it's on
2: its, on its, its way. way. It's on
3: its Wait.
1: way. So we're a but day we early on the interview? <laughs>
2: have, but Clara has some to hold up and show us. Yeah, I sure do.
4: So you I'm know, embarrassed,
1: I- Jennifer, that you're eating pa- pad thai and Claire is showing us. She doesn't have a pa- pad thai flavor.
4: <laughs> but how do you know? I haven't told you my flavors yet.
1: Well, we know it's not chocolate, vanilla, and birthday cake. <laughs> no.
2: But it has its roots in this because it was it was a evocative. There's always a method to my madness, Ma- Michael. Just just you wait.
3: Okay. So they're
4: all the same flavors on repeat is basically what happened. And I, I'm, you know, I'm an immigrant, I am foreign born and in California here, One out of two of us has an immigrant parent and 27% of us are foreign born. So, and we have this diverse culture, just like you're eating pad thai right now, Jennifer. You know, we're used to eating diverse food and, and, but this category was not diverse. It was very, um, just one lane of flavor. So-
2: And 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 again, I'm going to interrupt you again for two reasons. One, I want you to tell everybody what your culinary tradition is and what comfort food tasted like to you. And then I also want you to talk about the fact that in product development, there are certain benchmarks of flavor that are easier to hit, and there are some things that are better but harder to get to, both of which are part of your story.
4: Right. So my cultural heritage is, you know, my mom didn't make me peanut butter sandwiches. She made me halva sandwiches and she would get in trouble with the teacher for sending me to school with halva. She teacher didn't know what it was. So, you know, it was just different, different backgrounds. Um, My mom didn't bake me a birthday cake. We always had like baklava. Right. So it was always just a different flavor profile that I was eating at home. And as I got older and went to, to college, all my friends were from like Japan or China or Singapore, you know, all different parts of the world. So I was always exposed to diversity. And you're right, flavor development. I mean, when I was sitting with the food scientists, after I, I kind of came up with my own flavors, my food scientists, and then took it to a co-man. And they were like, the flavor houses were just so confused. They were like, why doesn't she just want peanut butter like everybody else? Or why doesn't she just want vanilla and chocolate? Like, why are we like procuring these strange flavors? And so it was really a push. So my first, you know, the flavors that I launched with, the flavors that are most common um, to like an American or anybody living in America are really like ones that are, you know, have traditions in Latin America and then American flavors. So I launched with churro. I don't know if you can see that.
2: Yeah. It's a churro flavored. And by the way, you, you do know that right now I'm talking to you live from Tucson, Arizona, where you could argue that we are the home of the churro. All
1: right, you <laughs> stop. I don't want to hear anything about Tucson, Arizona today. We have had <laughs> multiple complaints. You have not. I have. You have too much Tucson. People are like, why? It's so hot there. Nobody wants to hear about it. So we don't want to hear about your Nesca <true>. anymore. I'm <laughs> going to cut you out of this show, Jennifer, if you bring it up one more time. <laughs> Do you hear me talking? I don't talk where I'm from. You, you might have a stalker looking for you out there. You tell them where you live. Now stop it and be the kind young lady that you are. Clara, go ahead. <laughs> all right.
2: Claire, and the I second to our own show now.
4: Oh, I love it. Um, I don't mind at all. And the second flavor I came up with was is Mexican hot chocolate, which wow. uh, has warming spices in it, and a little bit of chili. It's, it's got a dark chocolate um, coating and base. So this one's really super indulgent. And then, my
1: abuelita, my abuelita made
4: that. Chocolate. Exactly. Abuelita is That's what people say. Like that's the highest.
1: Jennifer, Jennifer, what's funny about that? Why is it funny that my abuelita made dark chocolate? like that? <laughs> She comes in a little disc, my abuelita. I put it in <laughs> a little, and I put it in the mole.
3: And right. I don't even live in Tucson. All right. evolved. He's yeah. very evolved.
4: And then the third flavor that always throws people off is, you know, peanut butter and jelly. And so really, I didn't want, you know, when I created the brand, it was finding the name that really encompassed what I was trying to do was the hardest and Unite really is the perfect brand name for us. And we're trying to unite people around food and we're not about leaving anybody behind. So which is right. why we wanted an Americana flavor, right? Because this country means so much to me and so much to the people that live here. And I feel it's the best country in the world. So I really wanted to pay homage to all cultures and all upbringings. And so what you'll see in common in our flavors is like nostalgia and childhood, um, things that remind you of childhood, but just in a, different, in a different flavor profile.
2: But Unite Foods also had a mission with regard to nutrition and quality. Can you speak a little bit about how when you came to the category with an intention, not necessarily to disrupt, but to improve that it involved more than just joining a broad category that was very entrenched in what it was.
4: Yeah. I mean, it had to taste good, but it had to also be really good for you. And that was like, you know, and I didn't want it to be diet agnostic. I did not want it to be a keto bar or a low carb bar or whatever flavor of the month diet that are made functional high quality whole whole proteins and so you know like the first ingredient in our bar which i think is really one of our differentiators is like almond butter or peanut butter you know it's whole foods real food ingredients flavored naturally sweetened um, there's not gonna be any funky aftertaste and then texture was important so i wanted you to be able to see the nuts and the, the pieces in the bar so once you get it jennifer you'll see what i'm talking about but super important to me
2: and so when the world knows that it's heading into quarantine with the kinds of foods that they need to keep on hand, um, you have a certain advantage.
3: Yeah. Uh, they're and, shelves.
2: and they are shelves. So talk a little bit about all the ways as an entrepreneur that, and I, and I want you to accept this as the compliment that it's intended to be, because I believe that when serendipity actually does have a role that whatever you plan there's a bigger success. If it's the right thing, it's bigger than you could have imagined. But in every instance of success, every entrepreneur, even in plumbing, will tell you we were we were lucky at certain points to have certain things happen. But luck happens when you're doing the right thing at the right time. So I'm going to ask you a little bit about how sure. how luck played a role that you now recognize gave you more than you could have ever planned.
4: For sure. I mean, people were so... Because I launched literally the first week of March, right before the shutdown, and so people were like sending me their condolences, like "I'm so sorry, you spent all this time and energy on this product." I'm like, and I was like, "I'm not. (laughs) Like it's, I don't know any different." So let's just run with it. I have a shelf stable product. Everyone needs food. I'm not worried about stockpiling my pantry because I have a warehouse full of bars. So to
2: me, I can feed my whole city, and it's a win, right? It's a win no matter how you look at it. All of which. which brings us to the spotlight that we wanted to shine on you today because this is a moment where you are every operator, you are every food entrepreneur, you are every food entrepreneur, you are everybody that is right now trying to imagine what comes next. I need you to talk about how important it is to take your passion and all the hard work that you've done and whatever faith you had to sprinkle on the top to make this happen. What advice do you have to learn from what you've done to share with people that are in this moment?
4: I think it's about honoring your Mm -hmm. unique perspective. So if you have an idea And you think it's different and differentiated and you're not just copying somebody. You don't really have a passion for what you're developing. You're going to fail. So if you have a genuine passion, a genuine need of something that's unmet, the the key is just the starting, right? Like when the student is ready, the path will appear. It was just the start. I knew nothing about food. I knew nothing about food science other than I was a home cook. And so it was just the starting. Um, And then the next steps appear. And if, if, you, if you're on the right track, the right people will show up to help you. Yeah, Just like absolutely. I'm talking to you today, to amplify this message of diversity and unity, and let's bring people together.
2: I spent the better part of the mornings this week in, um, in the audience of a tech conference that last year was held in person, that this year was held online, all about uh, diversity and inclusion. As we continue to have the conversation, how can we reimagine the world that awaits us on the other side of this COVID moment as being someplace where the diversity and inclusion narrative that we weave into whatever we do is going to actually take us further into and up and succeed in whatever comes next. Can you talk a little bit about how that played a role? Maybe even happenstance. I think you just ran
1: us off the rails, Jennifer. I don't know what (laughs) that was.
2: What I, that? I well, think, you know,
4: no, I do. I think food is the perfect instrument of that inclusion. Yes. I think food unites us, food intrigues us, you know, food helps us learn about other people and learn about ourselves. So, like, you know, I see food as an instrument of that inclusion. And so, if you can create a story about your background, your abuelita, your, you know, the, the custom and the heritage of your food, I think that this is a key awakening point for many people and that we can use food as a soft way to enter it's not you know it's food is not political so food well, can be yeah,
1: clear food can bring you back the taste the smell it can bring you back it's almost like a time time warp right you could be like oh my god you're three years old four years old again in your grandma's house right you know what
2: i'm saying yeah. And
4: that's yeah, how you sure. share your culture. When you're from somewhere else and your mom makes makes something for you to share with your friends, sometimes there's shame around that. Like, oh, mom, my friends aren't going to like that. But then when your friends do, you're like, wow, like, okay. Sarah, this,
1: did that I'm, happen to you, honey? Did that, is that something that you All the heard?
4: time. Are you ca- kidding me? When I, I married I don't him,
1: know. You, sh- you should never have been that. That's okay.
4: <laughs> my, my husband had never even had hummus when I married him. I was like, did, did you live under a rock? Like, how have you not had hummus? Right. So,
1: oh. that-
4: He's just like you know, America, American. You, know, you know, what's your heritage,
1: Clara? What's your heritage?
4: So I was I'm Sudanese. I was born in the Sudan in Africa. Okay. Yeah, and I came here when I was five. Didn't speak a word of English. Was kind of just dropped into kindergarten and you know have that like t- typical immigrant um, story. And you know, dad that worked really hard in a family business, grew it. I helped run it, and then you know started this food business. That's
1: amazing, Clara, So I'm Where so can cool. we get your Where can people go get your product?
4: What did they get to Food? UniteFood.com or Amazon. I mean, right
1: now. Unite Bar? Is that what it's called? Do you no,
4: Unite Bar? Food. Somebody's squatting on my Unite Bar name, which I'm very upset about. But <laughs> it's Unite Food. I'm starting with bars, which is why I didn't call it Unite Bar. But really, I see oh. you know food is, can't, isn't just – ethnic food should not be in one aisle of a grocery store. Right? Like it's yeah. time to like expand and like let's bring ethnic food and ethnic flavors to every aisle yeah. because – Here's a weird
1: question, Clara. Have you been to an Asian market before? Have you ever been to an Asian yeah. market? Now, is I'm there sure. only one American? Is there just a one little half an aisle of Americans tonight? I don't, <laughs> no, know. I don't think so. I mean, I'm in Vegas. I've been to some Mexican supermarkets. I've been to some Asian supermarkets, and I really only find a half an aisle with Jiffy <laughs> peanut butter. It's interesting, right? <laughs> yeah, How's that, pad that tie, nice. Jennifer. How's that tie, Jen? Good. Uh, She's a All right, so it's unitefood.com. Is that where people are going to be going? Yes, or Amazon. We're on Amazon. That's an easy way too. Well, they still have to look you up
4: though, right? Yeah, you you just type in Unite Food, high protein bars. This is how does the name
2: Unite come to you?
4: I was so stuck on a name and literally, so I figured out I'm most creative when I'm walking. So I just took a walk and a hike and just was just thinking about what was I trying to accomplish through this brand. And it was really to bring people together. And I couldn't, you know, Unite was was the name that came to me. And then I went on the trademark registry and it wasn't trademarked.
2: Which is shocking. I mean, let's be honest.
1: Yeah. Let's be honest. Jennifer, where do you do your best thinking? I mean, she walks, and then she came to Unite Food, and then went through the process. But you you know about that process in my book. Go ahead, Jen.
2: Do you know why, though? Because only when you're allowing your mind to wander can you get true inspiration. Most of us are moving so fast and so focused that we don't let our mind wander and be free. And only when you wander in. Let your mind wander. Can you wonder and be so Where do you wonder?
1: you wonder, where do you? Where do you? are you? My best dance?
2: ideas. My best ideas come in the shower.
1: That's number two. Jennifer, I don't know if you know what this means because I know you. Know, you have that James Beard Award and all, but TMI. That means too much information.
2: <laughs> you asked me a TMI question. I'm going to give you a TMI answer. Clara, <laughs> you, you know though that James Beard, the father of American gastronomy, said that food unites us. That, that nobody had taken that literally and taken action on it. It, it. That's why I'm saying I was I was so thrilled for you that it was available. And I was so surprised when I read that.
4: Yeah. It was, it was another strike of that serendipity
1: we were talking well, about. How are sales? We're going to end this soon. But how are sales? Are they big? Are they strong? Are, they, are you in huge production? Are you a multi-zillion
4: area <laughs> <laughs> we just launched in march so I'm not multi-zillion area um, but um sales are good we have a lot of interest we were on the cover of your magazine which was amazing for us and getting kind of our word out there so we have a lot of interest um, we're just starting to talk to retailers but I, I would say sales are strong and I'm always you know curious how people find us and you know it, we're, we're getting a lot of word of mouth so it's great. Well, we're gonna
1: help. Can we help? We're gonna help. We're gonna help. You have my email address, which is most important here. I know Jennifer like. Right. I'm. I can move product. Right. That's what we do. That's we move. Do can do
2: that. He
3: can eat a box
1: of bars a day. I can eat more than that. <laughs> Believe me. No, but only if no one's home. Because if they're home, then I to pretend I don't eat it. See what I'm saying? They don't know. <laughs> Someone's closet <laughs> eating. Who is it? Guys. So we're gonna have you on again. Can we have can we have Clara on again, Jen?
2: Oh, that'd be amazing. Well, what I'd like to do is I'd actually like to give Clara an assignment. I'd like to make her part of our family. Well, she's you know one of our friends, but I want her to be part of our team because she is out in the world talking to people right now in a way that is unique. And food entrepreneurs don't realize that the marketplace Is waiting for them. Because where we used to go to restaurants and we used to do all the things we used to do, we need to find alternatives in all manner of ways. And it's the kind of thing that Clara's tapped into. And I really want her to come back and report on where she's finding opportunity. Because like so many people out there right now, there is a world that's waiting for us to reimagine and reinvent.
1: would love to. Sign me we love to. What was that? I just got a blunt in my ear. I got a book in my ear. It was weird. Um, you know, running this board is hard. Clara, thank you so much. Thank you, guys. We appreciate having you on. She's amazing. Jen, amazing.
2: Clara, I have to say, um, congratulations. I am so thrilled for you because the subtext of what I heard today was that this really is a mission and a passion. And I love it when people tap into what they're supposed to do. And let the magic that comes with that be part of your life. Because you have to be yeah. courageous to sort of let go and let it happen.
1: Yeah. And sometimes I'm courageous and I cut Jennifer me. off because we'd all be asleep if she kept going.
3: No, but this it's is, one of the biggest... And mystery. by the
1: way, when Jennifer writes an article for me, she asks me how many words. And if I say, I have to literally tell her six, and then I'll still get 500 words. Right, Jennifer? <laughs> The All right, Jennifer, is- we got a whole, our green room is full. They can't even breathe in there right now. Six foot, they're not even, I've got four or five people back there right now waiting to come on. So, Clara, we love you. We love your, we love your product, and we're going to stay in touch, and we're going to help push whatever we can and keep thank sending you. us your press releases and your information, and, uh, and, and God bless. Thank
2: you. Thank, thank
4: you, guys. I'm going be in
1: Orange County, Clara. so I want to get some bars while I'm out there.
4: And I can send a swimsuit to your kids. I have another swimwear line. So,
1: 11 year old daughter, three year old boy. But we'll, we'll email after the show.
4: Okay, sounds good.
1: Thanks. Bye. A swimsuit? What is she going to meet me? I mean, come on. I got a private birthday party to go to. I don't know. Jennifer, we have got some people lined up right now backstage. I don't even know what to do. I have got one of my special friends. I know you've got some of your special friends uh what do you think i think you want to have your special friend on first and let mine end the show
2: i i think so because i think your special guest has some food and if the food's ready i think it's a strong way to finish because one of the things i heard from everybody yesterday was how much they loved having uh-huh. food on the show
1: i heard they liked watching you turn around and cook it's my that best weird, time right? <laughs> that, was, that, was that misogynistic? I don't know, but I'm just telling you what I heard. I'm just. It was my
2: backside. Yes, yes. The back. I'm,
1: I'm Don Lemon, and I'm just reporting the news. Okay, so let's bring on your your special friend. So,
2: so uh, she's been on with us before. She's going to be on with us again. She's one of the country's most acclaimed uh, writers and culinary journalists. Uh, she's been published for over a decade in the finest food magazines. She's written multiple award-winning books, including one of my all-time favorite, Sweet Hands. Um, and she joins us now from her home and test Kitchens, where the coconuts are not falling off the trees as they did when she was a child, but they do spiritually in the world around her. She joins us now, the one and only award-winning, beautiful writer, Ramin Ganeshram. How Thank are you? you?
6: I'm good. How are you? It's good to see you.
2: Thank you for bringing the Caribbean to the table today.
6: Thank you. Thank you. It should be at every table every day.
2: Yeah. You know, one of the things that um, we are eager to have you on, because right now seems to be this moment of conversation about inclusion, uh, inclusiveness and diversity. And um, all of us are reaching out. Trying to do the best we can if you're empathic and thoughtful and caring and kind, and nobody wants to be tone deaf and on the wrong side of any of this. Um, and I'd like to I'd like to get a sense of what has been your experience as a as a as a member of the food journalism and food media world, and someone who is one of the world's leading experts on some of the most uh, important multicultural issues relative to food. What's your response been? Has your phone been ringing off the hook?
6: Um, I would say, yeah. I mean, it's interesting, right? Because right now I'm also the director of a history museum. So I've been having a lot of conversations. I will say that. Um, And it's interesting because food, as you have often said very accurately, the convivial table is a place where people can discuss things that they may not otherwise discuss. And sort of the, The systems around food and the legalities around food and the way food has been produced, certainly in America and the former British colonies, have everything to do foundationally with race and ethnicity. So I have been having a lot of of conversations. And it's interesting because depending on who you're speaking with, the conversation has to have a certain, um, all conversations should be thoughtful, but they have to have a certain tenor because you want to meet people where they are just like at a table, right? You're not going to have somebody at your table who's only ever eaten peanut butter and jelly and say, here's some lobster. Well, you're not going to do that, right? You might start small and say, here's a tuna sandwich first and <laughs> let's go to some flounder and then let's work our way up. And I'm finding that it's it's very similar when it comes to this.
2: Um, what difference does it make to have this conversation if you are an immigrant, first generation, or Miles Standish the 13th? Mm -hmm, mm
6: -hmm. Well, I think the first difference is that the further you get away from that original immigrant, the further you get away from that original person who was um, the person who came to this country, um, the more disassociated you are with what one has to kind of deal with and absorb and transform and the code switching we always talk about, right? The code switching that you have to do to kind of, to, to make it and to survive and to thrive in this, in this culture. Um, so that's, that's very different.
2: I and think is that is, is another way to say that is juggling the be as in beingness and, and become as in what you will become in your beingness and that difference between be and become is where we get confused or torn.
6: I mean, I think to some extent, I think that for people of color and for immigrants, it's, it's all, also the issue of the become, right? You know, there's the become that society tells you you should want to aspire to and the become that feels right in your soul and doesn't dishonor your ancestors. So, I mean, that has a lot to do with it as well. Uh, and I think that, um, you know, when when we think about these issues, what we really have to think about is, um, you know, the thing that everybody says, which is that obviously America is a country of immigrants from the very beginning. But as a historian, what I often talk about is that we have to be very careful about is the idea of long ago and far away. Right. So people can say to themselves that happened long ago. It happened far away from where I particularly live. I live now, I'm from New York City. I live in Connecticut. And I do a lot of work around in the, in the museum I work at in, uh, in the history of African-Americans in this state. And the far away part of it is that people here in New England, and I know you're originally from New England, think that, oh, slavery and Jim Crow and race uh, bias and systemic racism, that's the South. That's far away. Or it was long ago in the earliest part of this colony and not as late as in the state of Connecticut, 1848, um, you know, and, and much further. So that's something that I think we really have to think about. The long, you know, you, I think we should all, all as Americans constantly be asking ourselves, am I falling into the long ago and far away trap to distance myself from issues that are really important and continue to be important right now?
2: is that what is the comment that you have to then follow up with about the taking down of statues all over the country? How, I mean because were those testaments to long ago and far away that lived in the here and now?
6: That's a really good question. In fact, that is the one question I get asked a lot. Um and I so I can only tell you my personal opinion on that. And um so first of all, foundationally, I would say that um, you know, being a scholar, I often like to think about um, the rule of law, how it's worked against people and how it's worked for people, or how it simply has worked. And when we think about the South, particularly, when we think about the Confederacy, and we think about those statues, we, let's look back at the rule of law, and those are individuals who, by the rule of law, committed treason in their time. And by the rule of law, there were rules for that punishment. So the aggrandizement that comes with statues kind of promoting the Confederacy, I think that if we even take it out of emotion and ethics and morality, which we should still do, but let's take it out of that, I am personally in favor, and the historians I work with are in favor, of the idea of that's a separate issue. Removing Confederate statues completely separate. We think it should happen, uh, but we also think there should be interpretation. Remove a Confederate statue, certainly, but keep some aside, not in the public forum to be kind of worshipped and looked up to, but in a museum to interpret accurately.
2: And, are people, and are people making comments about the oppression that historically people seem to have fe- felt that they're now releasing as a relief, having felt like this was a symbol of the oppression that I was under for centuries?
6: I, I think that's, I think that's true. What I always worry about is that, so that's absolutely true and that's absolutely accurate. And all of us want to kind of um, in those scenarios immediately dismantle the symbols of that oppression. But I think that, you know, we have to remain um, we, thoughtful in a way as to essentially um, reach across the table so that everybody can meet at the same place and finally get to that place. Um, So I'll tell you, I often think, and historians like me often think, that it's a case-by-case basis. So I'll give you a perfect example. In the town in which I live, many, many of the founders of the town and many of the people after whom things were named were owners of enslaved people. Right. Um, The high school is uh, named after a man who himself did not own enslaved people. He was too late for that, but his family certainly did. So someone said to me, well, would you advocate taking his name off the high school? So that's a case-by-case basis. That particular man was a 20th century person. He endowed this school. Um, so I would say no, but I would say that in the school, there should be a plaque that talks about he had privilege and multi generational wealth in large part because his ancestors did own other human beings. Right. So it's kind of a balance.
2: Well, and, it's, and, and I don't want to get into this today. But if you're the um, major shareholder founder of a sporting goods company that uh, everyone um, sports on their feet and in their golf bag and on their basketball and soccer ball, and you find out that the balls were stitched in Pakistan by children, um, how is that any different? And the acclaim isn't a statue today. The acclaim is a different kind of fame where we're – where we're lauding and applauding with our pocketbooks and our dollars. I don't want to get into that today, but this, this, this is not an, um, an, a news story. It's an no. old story that exists today. We just don't tend to think of it as a today story. But the thing I want to um, stretch to and encompass, we're going to, like every good dinner party, we're going we're gonna to go around the table a little bit on this. Um, you originally are from the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. And you bring traditions uh, to our table today and sensibilities to our table today. Um, And rather than talk about um, the politics of it, I want to talk about the heart and soul of it. Because earlier in the show, we were talking about how food unites us. And throughout the show today, we're going to continue to be talking about how how we're united by food. Let's talk a little bit about how, as a first generation, a Caribbean Islander coming to the United States, um, what your experience has been, and as a person of color, what your flavor experience and your food experience and your food uniting experiences. Because you brought a special guest to our table today too that we want <clears throat> to bring on.
6: So um, so I was born in New York City. My father came from Trinidad in the West Indies. And my mother actually came from Iran in um, <laughs> what is often said the Middle East. But it's actually, if you look at it on the map, it's not really the Middle East. It's in Asia. But anyway, um, so, you know, my experience was that, I, so for example, we didn't really have packaged food in our house. We really didn't. The things that a lot of people my age think of as really nostalgic American food, wonder bread, Right um well,
3: 20,
6: yeah we didn't really have it and when we did it was a treat that we had these things right um we the idea of, of family coming together and eating at the table was really important like we even in my family today with my own child the idea of what do you mean people just grab things and go and eat as they need to like that's insanity It, it doesn't happen. in an immigrant family you sit down and you eat what was prepared for you um we often joke about the idea of seasoning, highly seasoned food. Like we're, you know, that was, a, that's a really important aspect. And, and in fact, I told you um, with respect to my friend who, who was going to join us, my brother of my soul, of my heart. Um, what we're going to talk about is uh, something that he has brought to the larger culinary world that Island to Island, the seasoning changes. Because
2: right? let's go back one more time. The history- Your brother
1: is backstage. I know he's waiting. Waiting, he's waiting, he's waiting, okay. waiting, waiting, waiting. Oh, he's sorry. like, Gee, get me up there.
2: So oh, no. let, let's bring on, uh, let's have you introduce him. But I want to talk about how we're tying it all together. The Caribbean islands and the spices and the spice islands and the spice roots and the spice trading and the ships that brought them and the slaves that were involved in this. I mean, oh, there's right. such a rich and complicated tradition. And yet you can't eat cinnamon and nutmeg and allspice and ginger and cloves and all the rest of it without nodding to the islands and the flavors of the islands, which you've done so magnificently in your book. So please introduce your Bretta, as you yeah. say.
6: So I'm so honored to introduce Jackie Summers, who is, as we say, my Bretta. My, my, there he is.
3: Look there at he that. is. Oh my gosh, look at that. that.
6: And he, he created a liquor brand. He's also a child of, of the Caribbean. His ancestors are from the Caribbean. Um, and he created a brand called Sorrel, or what we commonly call it is Sorrel. And he has, a funny, he has a funny story about why the name is a little different for his brand than what we call it, which is um, a drink made from hibiscus flowers that, that is sourced in West Africa. So it was bought, brought to the Caribbean from, um, by enslaved people, enslaved Africans, who brought that to the Caribbean where then it was grow, grown as the Roselle hibiscus. And a lot of your viewers in your area and in the Southwest will know it as Jamaica, because um, it's also drunk in Central America and South America. So I'm going to let Jackie talk, but that's, that's um, he's really keeping our heritage alive in, in a very like, modern and chic way.
1: Let me introduce Jackie. Let me, can, I, can I welcome Jackie to our show, Jennifer? Yes. Jackie, welcome to our show. It's been fabulous texting with you backstage. Thank you. So, where are you? You're in New York right now.
7: Brooklyn. I oh, you Brooklyn that. boy. <laughs> Brooklyn people need to do that. I apologize.
1: Yeah, we have. To. I
7: know. And where? And what Caribbean island are your is your family from? Where in the Caribbean? My mother's parents are from Barbados. My father's parents are from Saint Kitts Nevis. So I've got coconut. Isn't that beautiful, Jennifer? This is a beautiful. I, thing. I
2: love his Bayesian soul, that is awesome.
7: I was, this
1: is by the way, you're not the only Caribbean man I've talked to today. There's oh, the a few out there. I talked to Mojo, Mojo Morgan for an hour this afternoon. I couldn't get him off the phone. <laughs> you know the Morgan, Morgan Heritage Brothers, right? They're all from Brooklyn, yes. So, Jackie, tell us what it is. I'm trying to have Mojo call in because I think that would be fun. Jennifer told me not to. No, Jennifer said don't have Gramps call in, so I was going to have Mojo call in instead. See, Jennifer, how that works?
2: We, we have Jackie Summers, the Jackie Summers, the man who was originated. This is the next Saint Germain. Ten years ago, they introduced yeah. Saint Germain, the elderflower liqueur from Scandinavia, from France, and it, and, it, and it took off in the cocktail industry like wildfire, and every drink seemed to be made with Saint Germain. With our focus on the Agave Spirits, the Southwest, and the flavors of Jamaica and the flavors of Sorrel, this is the next Saint Germain. It's gonna be huge. It's well, gonna be huge.
7: I, I will tell you the, the big difference, and the, the reason I, I think the company's in development at the moment, uh, with all respect to Rob Cooper. He started with $20 million, and he had a history of, of Distilling, he was the grandson of the man who made Chambord. He started with not a small fortune, but actually a large fortune. uh, And his brother made Canton. Uh, The joke in liquor is if you, the best way to make a million dollars is to start with $10 million. He started with $20 million. And Saint Germain was a fantastic, revolutionary, groundbreaking product which Absolutely changed the rules for the game. I started with nothing. I literally had no background in hospitality whatsoever. I knew nobody in hospitality. I had no background in food chemistry and I had no money. And Sorel is probably the second highest rated liqueur in the world, right behind Saint Germain. Yep. What's
2: going to happen with this proliferation of agave spirits? From all the tequilas, then on to Mezcal, Bacanora, Sotols, and then on into the clear spirits categories. The opportunity for what you've brought to the party, for where we go next, for the cuisine from myriad regions, but particularly from the West, Southwest, and on through the South, all bringing in those elements, not only of the islands, but throughout Latin America. This is fantastic. Talk a little bit about the tradition of hibiscus liqueur in the cultures of the islands.
7: Hibiscus, as my sister said, first started to be imported uh, from West Africa in the 1600s with the spice trade. Uh, And they would make a tea of it because it has all these great nutritional health benefits. It's an antimicrobial, it's anti, uh, it's an anti, it's an anti-infectant, it's a natural. uh,
2: It's antifungal.
7: It's antifungal. It's a natural diuretic. It's a natural. Uh, what's the word for blood the pressure? Stuff
3: that
7: no, no, no. Blood pressure. Horny. No, no, horny. Horny. What's the word for the stuff that makes you horny? Aphrodisiac. Aphrodisiac. Yes. I forgot the word for a second because I've been oh, quarantined yeah. for a long time. Uh, <laughs> they would make this tea, uh, and all of the British naval officers had a stipend of rum as part a daily of
2: daily pot of rum.
7: Put rum in the tea to preserve it. And then as, as my sister said, depending on where you landed in the spice, in the, in the islands, in the spice trade, you would get a different mix of spices. So if you were in, say, Jamaica, you would get cardamom and allspice. Uh, but if you went deeper in the spice, route, like Trinidad and Tobago, you'd get cinnamon and nutmeg and rum. So all of these different versions of this exist. And every Caribbean family believes they make the best version. <laughs> I, I actually do make the best version. Kind of true, yeah.
2: <laughs> what, when and how do you drink it?
7: Uh, there isn't a when if you're Caribbean. The when is when you have it, you drink it. Uh, and the bottle to show us. Do you have a bottle? I do not do have a bottle, and uh, it would mean getting up. And I'm in. I'm in my. I'm in my kilt today. I love because, that because I've 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 given up pants since since we've been quarantined. Uh, But it is this beautiful, red, rich, magenta color. My version has cinnamon, nutmeg, clove, uh, ginger, and hibiscus leaves. It's about the strength of a glass of wine. So you can literally sit down and drink a bottle in one sitting. The great part about it is the ginger almost perfectly masks the flavor of the alcohol. You never taste booze, you just feel booze. And the people who drink more than a glass one of the things that I say off the record, which is now on the record, nutmeg is a mild narcotic. Right. So if you drink yeah. a lot of it, you don't really get drunk; you get a little high. It's Same thing with the mace,
2: thing. the exterior coating of the nutmeg.
7: Yes. Yes. How
1: do you know, Jennifer?
2: Uh, because as you, if you put my Chiron up, Michael, it says Mrs. Spices. I've been uh, <laughs> I've been a professor of spices for twenty five years. And one of the things I'll tell you is that we all need more spices in our day-to-day life. And one of the food... Hold on.
1: Hold on. I got somebody spicy. I got a spicy guest for us. Pop it on. There he is. Momentum, Morgan. Mojo. (laughs) What's going on? You need to listen. You need to listen to this. Jackie, meet Mojo. What's going on? You need to hear about his brand, Mojo. Mojo Morgan from the great, great legendary band, Jackie. Legendary band. Morgan Heritage. You talk busy? about the Jackie. Talk about the brand so Mojo can hear
7: this. This is amazing. Because
2: so, I'll tell you anything. The Morgan family heritage must have their own version, their own let recipe. Me hear it.
7: So the short version is when I launched this brand in 2012, uh, again called Sorel Mott Sorrel, because I have a speech impediment. Uh, I did not know it at the time, but I was the only black person in America with a license to make liquor. Handful of winemakers, handful of brewmasters, handful of people who either had import licenses or contract bottling situations. But an actual DSP holder? Just me. I was Tigger. I was the only one. <laughs> Congratulations. That's a
1: beautiful,
7: that's it, a beautiful thing. It, it, it wasn't a beautiful thing. It was really the, I have a particular sort of disability. I don't know what I cannot do. So I had no idea what I was trying to do was impossible. Every single time I walked into a restaurant or a bar, people had no idea that black liquor brand donors were a thing. Every time I taught a sales team, every time I met with a distributor, every time I sat in a boardroom, it was more likely that people have lived experience being in the presence of a lion, a tiger, or a bear than of somebody like myself. Uh, well, I, I, like to, I, like to, I like to call Mojo my, my bear, but sometimes he's my kitty kitty. Mojo? My, my kitty is sleeping somewhere.
1: So sure. uh, where, where is the product available right now, Jackie?
7: It's not available right now, and I'll tell you why. The brand did so well in the first three years that the big boys came for me. I signed the most dollar mm-hmm. contract in 2015 to take the brand national. The company reneged. Oh. I, I negotiated a second contract to completion within six months. Again, with I was in a three-way bidding war with three of the biggest liquor companies on the planet. Completed that contract, looked the lawyer in the eye, said i He said I. He said would have paper. He said I'll have papers for you. I'll have papers for you in three days. That company reneged too. What I found out was that they all loved the brand and thought it was a hit brand. They wanted the brand, but they did not want me.
1: Mm. Mojo, we're uh, Mojo and I are starting our own brand. Mojo, why don't you talk about that for a minute? Maybe we can work with Jackie, your Brooklyn brother. <laughs> Island vibes, yeah, man. That's so, what your answer is. Okay. He talks so much more than just me and him. I'm a little embarrassed to have him on the show, Jennifer. Usually, I can't get him to stop talking. I don't know what's going on. Well, well,
2: so, Mojo, no, I, what, what? I have to ask you, Mojo. Um. Does your family have a recipe for this hibiscus liqueur that they
0: made? I don't know about the liquor part, but uh, definitely um, hibiscus. We call it sorrel.
7: Yes. But I, yeah. what island are your people from?
0: Oh, we're from Jamaica.
7: And then yours doesn't have rum in it? I'm from Barbados. Everything has rum in Barbados.
0: No, what we do is we add a little, we add a little Ray and Nephew rum in it to preserve it. Right so it doesn't spoil fast. And there are some people that will spice it up with a little red label wine just to give it some more kick. But traditionally, it's a family drink, so you can't put too much alcohol in there. We drink it primarily towards the end of the year holiday season, Christmas, New Year's Eve, because it's a plant that bears fruit once a year.
2: Mojo, what spices does your family put in it? Because I know your family's famous for spicy.
0: So we go with pimento. We put ginger. And we boil it with those two spices when we're boiling um, the sorrel. And then, you know, we strain it off and sweeten it right. with brown sugar. If you want, you can touch in a little lime and, of course, the, the, the white rum. As a preservative only.
2: And, and there are a lot of, there are a lot of uh, people in the audience who are familiar with pimento as a red pepper that goes into cheese. When we talk about pimento in the spice world, of course, we're talking about an alligator pepper or otherwise known as allspice.
0: Allspice, correct. <laughs>
2: in fact, the Ooh. cocktail world knows it as pimento because the king of cocktails, Dale DeGroff, has a bitters that he produced called Dale De Groff's Pimento Bitters, made with allspice, and it is one of the most uh, acclaimed and best-selling bitters in the marketplace. Hey, where did Ramin go? Because she had um, she's she here. Had-
1: she's here. I just wanted okay. to look at Mojo a little larger because he's so handsome. We can bring Ramin back.
2: Thank me often.
1: <laughs> there she is.
6: Hello, hello. Um, you know, I want to say a couple of things. So, just kind of as a point of history. Or culinary history. So allspice pimento in Jamaica is actually the real basis of jerk, right? If you don't have pimento wood to smoke jerk, to you know, jerk seasoned meat, you don't have jerk, right? So um, it's funny, like there's some wonderful, wonderful jerk brands for the seasoning, but I always say, eh, it's not quite, you need to have that, which is actually, I think still legal to import the wood in the United States. But you know what I want to say about sorrel or sorrel, as my brother says, calls it, and it is actually because he had a speech impediment and he couldn't say sorrel, um, that it's sorrel. Um, they, they uh, what, what, as, as Mojo said, it's a family recipe. We all make it, particularly around Christmas time, right? And, you know, like in Jamaica, they put ginger, whereas in Trinidad, we do not. I do, which my Trinidadian relatives don't like, but I like it, the Jamaican way. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the thing is that when Jackie created Sorrel, the liquor brand, it was like, oh my God, why didn't anyone think of this? Because, you, because you, can, you, know, you make it and then you do, as you said, put a little rum in it as either a preservative or as a cocktail, the adults might do that. But it was just one of those things that's just like so everyday to us, nobody thought about actually creating a brand. It was brilliant. It was brilliant. It was just like, how did nobody think of that
0: up until this? Well, point? people bottled it as juices in Jamaica for yeah. quite some time now. They've been doing that. Um, yeah. True Juice does it. Grace does it,
5: and it's you Grace, can get not, it all
0: over the world. Um, and there's different smaller, um, mom and pop brands that also bottle it. Yeah, um, and and sell it at the Caribbean restaurants and different.
3: But without liquor.
0: But exactly. without liquor. Exactly. So I, I I applaud you for thinking of that, you know, five years ago, because we got into the liquor or the game, the idea yeah. came to us to get into the liquor business with Michael, our partner. um, About two years ago, we were on tour mm-hmm. and we came up with, you know, the name of a tour, which was Island Vibes. And it was like, yo, let's just have our own rum and we're going on tour with our Island Vibes rum and this and that, yada, yada. And when we were introduced to the concept of RTDs, I said to Michael, coming from the islands, we got to do fruits and flavors from the tropics. And Sorrel was one of them. So I can see why he thought it would be interesting for me to join this forum and, you know, discuss what you're doing with
7: Sorrel. Well, there's actually a technical reason I found out why no one had ever successfully made an alcoholic beverage, an alcoholic version of Cerelda was Shelf Stable. Um, every Caribbean family puts rum in their, in their sorrow. Rum has its own dissolved, particulate its own dissolved sugars. It never combines on a molecular level with the particulate in the base mix, which is what makes it go bad eventually. I was the first person to use instead of a rum, a neutral wheat grain base, so it's actually uh, it's <clears throat> actually certified organic, certified kosher. But that 190, 190 proof wheat grain base goes in, and it actually creates a pectin It creates complex polysaccharides, which attach on a molecular level to all of all of the particulate. You remove the particulate, and what's left is crystal clear and shelf stable, lasts for years. Mm-hmm. So that was my innovation to the to the to the to the culture is I was the first person to figure out how to make it last for years.
1: Impressive. Damn Jackie, that came out of nowhere, all that molecular talk.
7: No,
6: no, if you what know him, heck? that doesn't matter, look. Oh my god. Genius. He's actually a genius. I'm not saying that. You least. guys from
1: Brooklyn. Mojo, you guys from Brooklyn. I don't know what's going on around here. I never met anybody from Brooklyn, Mojo. I don't know any guys from Brooklyn. You know, storyteller,
2: Michael. One of the other things, how I'm going to tie this all together. So, Ramin Ganeshram uh, wrote a book that has been widely considered the, the the world's best on the topic. She wrote the biography, and the Well, it's not a biography. It's it's a fictionalized historical um, novel about George Washington's chef named Hercules. She's someone who did a tremendous amount of research and and understands you know the value of doing that research in in creating this book which is why she also works in in sort of her day job if you will uh, in the historical society but the name for the state of connecticut is the nutmeg state and why do you think the state of connecticut is called the nutmeg state because i'm going well i'm going to let her tell us
6: actually it's so at the time nutmegs were really 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 valuable and they came from the west indies they were extremely expensive. Wealthy people carried them around to show how wealthy they were. They had very fancy nutmeg graters which they would grate and like snort nutmeg. Um, and people in Connecticut were thought to be so crafty and wily because they would make fake nutmegs out of pieces of wood um and sell them to people as if they were real. Um, so it's actually a commentary on the craftiness <laughs> <laughs> of Connecticut of the connecti- of nutmeggers, Connecticut people. Yeah.
1: That's fantastic. Well, this is very educational. Very educational, Jennifer.
2: And and all of this has to do with the trades in both commodities and lives that is the focus of this moment in time. And if anything, we learn anything from today's show besides food unites us. It's easy to unite us because, in fact, we're all the same. We are all one. (laughs) Trying to tell us that we're not that's not going to get us anywhere. And it's such an important thing for us to think about as we take each tentative step in this time of COVID crisis, in this time of, you know, racial outrage. And in the different parts of the country, like where I am, where the wildfires are raging, the world is madness right now, but it's a cleansing madness. And all of this, as I heard today in a conference, this isn't This isn't garbage, what's happening. This year is fertilizer to make what comes next blossom and bloom. Will you all talk a little bit for us um, before we have to wrap this up? Will you talk about how you're thinking about what comes next? Do you see this as a moment of opportunity? Are you looking forward with not just hope, but dreaming, passionate? Mission-driven, futuristic
3: hope.
7: I think can I have on one? Yes. So, so I, I want to argue the food unites us point. Food should unite us in theory, but speaking specifically about the liquor culture in this country, so much of it is owed to Black people, and so little of it is owned by Black people. Right. It's been proven that a slave taught Jack Daniels how to make liquor. None of that slave's descendants got to benefit from that. Uh, it's been proven that cocktail culture was created by black Wait, people.
1: Wait, is that is that the new brand, Uncle Nearest? Is that what that is, Jackie?
7: Is that, that who that was? That is, that is a descendant of, of, the, of Uncle Nathan, who was the, the slave who taught Jack Daniels how to make liquor. Cocktail culture oh, right. came from black people. Dive bar culture came from black people, so all of this, not just infrastructure and wealth, but culture was created by black people and we get to benefit so little from it. We own so little of it. So the change that I want to see is I want to see the people who create culture to benefit from it the same way other people have. That would be the change I want. We are fair, fair. We are tired of being owned. We deserve to be owners.
3: Well
1: Jennifer's
2: one on that. Woo! Hello. Mojo, I want I, to I, I know how, how are you in this moment in time looking forward? What do you see coming next? Is it opportunity
0: or are you are you a little worried?
1: Do you see pineapple wine coming next?
0: I'm not worried at all. I think this is a great reset um for society, for the financial industry, um, for us as humanity to really just take a step back. Um Look at how far we're coming from, to be able to properly, to be able to properly navigate where and how we want to step forward into the future. That's just how I, I personally view what's going on now, because there's a lot of change that needs to take place to bring a certain level of financial equality, to bring a a certain level of systematic equality, um, to bring a certain level of cultural acceptance. Which is what our brother Jackie is talking about with the challenges he's been facing, you know, trying to bring his product to market. And if we, as humanity, can just, on 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 a on a human level, deal with each other, how we would like to be dealt with, the world would be a better place, and it will become a better place. You know, as some of and this sound this may sound messed up, but it's gonna take a few generations to die. And I don't, I don't know how to say it any more blunt than that. It's going to take a few generations to die for everything to be how this younger generation that we've given birth to is living with their peers, where everything is there on a level playing field. But the mindset of the, of the elders and the leaders today, they don't see it like that. And so until a lot of those guys are dead and gone, uh, we're going to have more of the same. It's, um, it sounds harsh, but just think about it on a human level. You can't gr- go, go to agriculture. You can put two baby trees together and create a new tree, right? You can graft them together and re- create a new tree. You can't do that with old trees. You can't bend an old tree. There's a reason why there's all these old monikers are saying where it's like, you can't teach an old dog new tricks and you can't bend an old tree. There, there's a reason why those things come into manifestation in our daily lives because it's a reality. And it's hard, to, the older you get it, it's the harder to teach you new things.
1: Ramin Gunnashram is a
2: scholar and an author and an owner. what
1: Jennifer. What? Jennifer, Ramin, is, Ramin. believe it or not, is going to stay on with us for our next guest.
2: Oh, I love that. I, she I wanted to say one you. thing.
1: You can't say it. But you're going to have to wait.
2: Well, no, if, it no, gonna, no it's totally what, for me. What? It's totally on point. Ramin wrote a book in 2011. Yeah, we know. About a, a novel about yeah.
1: a human chef. Oh, my God. Called Stir It Up, Jennifer. Why are you <laughs> stealing my thunder? Why, Jennifer?
2: Go
1: ahead. And, and what about also an award-winning winning, winning book called Future IACP-winning book called Future Chefs? Mm-hmm. So, guys, Jackie Mojo, I love you. Thank you, my friend, for coming on last minute. And go back to the sports arena where the kids are playing. Jackie, thank you. Good luck with everything and Anything we can do to help you with Food and Beverage Magazine, we're here for you, buddy. Thank you. All right, take care. Nice to meet you all. You too. All right, buddy. We love you, Mojo. All right. So now, <clears throat> thank God we got rid of those guys. They would not stop talking, would they? So now, what we've got, you're not going to believe this, Ramin, You're going to be so excited, and this kid is going to be so excited to meet you. We are going to bring on a teen chef who, who's mm-hmm. just starting out in the world. Right? He didn't even. He wants to be a doctor. He's going to be a doctor. This kid is so bright, so crazy, so charismatic. I, I grew up with his mother, and all she was talking about was this kid, Ethan, Ethan, Ethan. I was like, enough of Ethan. But now the whole world is going to know Ethan. Let's bring him on. Ethan. I, should we bring him on, or should we show a video first? Show the video so, first. Really? Okay, let's do a little. Let's see. If it, I haven't even seen the video. This it right here. Let's see what happens. Ramin, I want you to watch. Yes, sir.
5: Dinner is served.
1: I mean, is this Come the right. greatest kid? Here he is. Here he is. Teen chef, Ethan Balzmo.
5: Hello, everybody. I grew up with his parents. Hello, Jennifer. Hello, Ramin.
1: Hello. Ethan, move your move your camera down a little bit. you got too much headroom. Head there we there go. You go right. There
5: you go, Nice. Handsome.
1: Handsome, boy.
5: Thank you. I try. I try hard. Chef so, Ethan, so welcome. When,
2: when did you fall yeah. in love with food?
5: So, you know... It was a while back. I think I was about nine or 10 years old. And my grandfather, he was really good at cooking. Um, You know, that's another dish I made. Um, He was one of the, you know, one of my pioneers in terms of, you know, getting me into cooking. He, you know, taught me, you know, the basics like eggs, pasta, meatballs, all the, you know, basic elements of, you know, food. Um, He started teaching me that. And then what really took off is when my uncle, Uh, Who is the head chef at the Ritz Carlton, Bachelor Gulch? He's really, you know, influenced a lot of skills. Say his name,
3: Chef Jasper.
5: Chef Jasper Schneider. Um, He, you know, he has given me a lot of tools to use, a lot of resources in terms of, you know, the tools, the equipment, and a bunch of different skills from sautéing to flambeing to, you know, laminating the pasta dough, all of that good stuff.
2: When we talk with our friend Ramin, who wrote wrote a book, Future Chef, what is it about this generation, Ramin, and how food literate and food inspired these kids are? Where does this come from? Well,
6: you know, when I think about it, I think about it, it, it's a number of things. So the first thing is, this is the generation that has never known a world without the food network, right? The three of us remember the world without the food network, without food TV without people creating lifestyle on social media that didn't exist for us. So we could compartmentalize it. So for them, it's, it's part of their everyday life. It's part of the entertainment of everyday life. I think that has a lot to do with it. I think also that this is a generation, I have a 14-year-old daughter um, who was allowed to experiment in the way that we didn't. You know, my parents would have said, you're not wasting ingredients. Although I have to say, I say that to my daughter sometimes because she's not a teen chef. She just like to mess around my kitchen. But, um, you know, generally, I think most parents my age, I'm sure I'm the, roughly the age of Ethan's parents, will say, yeah, go for it. Try it. Do something different. Um, and that's given them a lot of um, uh, confidence. And also, they can go into the supermarket and buy things we couldn't buy. When we right, right, right,
3: right, right.
6: And right. they walk to
1: this. Why don't you, Ethan, tell Rami, because you were always in the grocery store. He goes to pub. Tell her all the whole process. Like,
5: so you, you know,
3: you tell me
1: the crazy
5: so usually I'll, what I'll do is I'll plan a meal out usually on the morning or the night before. And what I'll do is I'll make sure I have enough cash to go out to the uh, grocery store. Our local grocery store here is called Publix. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I walk, sometimes I drive, and I'll just grab all of the ingredients. I always do quality assurance on them to make sure that they're up to my standards. Then I bring them home. I do my second quality assurance, cleaning, prepping, cooking. And then I you know, take videos of myself doing it. I take pictures of them. Sometimes I upload them. Sometimes I don't. Um, and I just, I enjoy what I'm doing in the kitchen 99.9% of the time. I enjoy it.
2: Chef Ethan, will you talk a little bit about what it means to be a teen chef? I think that from, from our perspective, we understand that you're a teenager. We understand that you're a chef, but when we think about chefs, we then think about Barbara Lynch and Jean George von Richten. I mean, we're not thinking about teenagers. Help us make the connection between what it means to be a young person and being a chef and change how we think about the word chef right now.
5: So that's a good point. So, you know, all of those inspirations like John George and all those, you know, lot of, you know, pioneers, you know, it's it's very different in terms of, you know, one age and experience. I think it's interesting to see, you know, how young and younger and younger chefs, are starting to, you know, kind of take the wheel a little bit and try to put their own modern twist on, you know, old traditional stuff, you know, uh, whether it be like Marco Pierre White in the 1980s or some young, um, you know, Magnus from Iceland, you know, from, you know, he's 24, you know, it's really interesting to see different perspectives and different, you know, generational twists on, you know, traditional versus modern.
2: Will you talk a little bit about the role or your understanding of what that sort of traditional Escoffier cuisine is and how important is it to stay true to it? How important is it to reimagine it?
5: So I think, you know, it is important when you start cooking, you know, from whatever age you should know the basics. You know, I think we should stick kind of true to the basic stuff like a classic spaghetti meatballs, meatballs, spaghetti, you know, it's kind of, kind of something you can you can stick with and if you wanted to you know pursue that further and you wanted to kind of modernize it so to speak you could improve upon that you know greatly um it it really all depends on also if you really want to you know be driven to do it i know i'm very driven you know to try to make myself better i mean i i still learn every day i learn something new about food every day like just this past day um that past week, I learned how to uh, flambe uh, some flan, which was really cool. You know, it's and it's you got to try to pay respects to the traditional, but also kind of respect it in the way of a modern, you know, modern twist on it.
1: Are you guys impressed with my little, are you guys impressed with my little Ethan? I mean, look at the best. This kid is in school. He's just his, his hobby, his passion. He's the big Ethanator on the on the uh, Instagram, right, Ethan? Is that what it is? Big Ethanator? Big Ethanator. That is, that is what it is. Right? And and if you go, like, every day I'll be like, I'll call his mom. I'll be like, yo, you're having macaroni and cheese tonight. Whatever it is he's making.
5: And she'll be like, yeah. oh,
1: my God. What did he do now? Right? But they love it. She's like, I have to stop him. He will spend so much money in the grocery store. Right, Ethan? We know yeah. how that is.
5: Yeah, like today I went to the grocery store. I bought uh, some steaks. I bought some mushrooms. I bought some potatoes, and you know I'm probably going to end up doing that tomorrow or uh, Saturday. Tomorrow Saturday.
1: Now, when you go to the grocery store, do you talk to the butcher and and, and those people in there? Or how's no, your
5: relationship? I, sometimes I would. That's because I didn't really want to select my own meat that was already like prepackaged or all the uh, you know meat products. I usually like to see the person, and I like to see them cut it so I could respect their craft. Uh, and then I would receive said pieces of meat and then I would go. But now since we're more in a COVID-ish environment, I have noticed that I have the tendency to be a very, you know, busy shopper. I'll be in and out of the store in 15 minutes. So I'm like, I'm pacing all the aisles going fast. I sometimes say hi, but that's only for like a second. And you know, it's fun to, you know, see, you know, the butcher do his craft. But now, you know, since there's restrictions, um, in terms of you know social distancing, which we have to do, um, it's it's been a little less and less I've noticed for myself. Chef, what grade are you in? Brianne has a question.
6: Oh uh, no, I just wanted to say that I think Ethan makes a point that I think a lot of young people should really take to heart, and I think you know which is that you need the foundational skills of cooking. You need to understand it's like trying to build a house without a foundation. You're not going to be able to do it. You're not going to be able to create and be creative if you don't know the basic things. And when you go to culinary school, you start out very simply and you start out very small because you need to learn those basic sauces and knife skills. And, and then you can go crazy once you've mastered that. And yes. um, I think that's important. It's an important thing. Um, it shouldn't hinder you. It should be an exciting sort of um, part of your journey.
3: Correct. Um,
6: and you I say- tell,
1: tell them what's going on, how, how you have been hired by a family. To do meals um, and yeah. teach their young, their young teenage daughter, which Ethan, I believe, he's using as a ploy to meet girls. And I want you to tell us um, what's really going on in that kitchen because so, chefs are known to be a little mongrelly. You know what I
5: mean? I get it, Miss um, uh, Jennifer. To answer your question, I'm going into my senior year in high school very quickly. Yes, I'm going Thank into my you. senior year, um, and then. The person that I am teaching her, um, I don't think I'm going to say her name because, you know, anonymity is a thing. Um, before, you know, before, like two, I met her two weeks ago. She didn't really, you know, know how to use a microwave per se. Um, but now, you know, I've taught her the basics. I taught her how to grill meat. I taught her how to make mashed potatoes. I taught her how to make, you know, an apple pie from scratch. And um, I think since our last meeting, I think two weeks ago, I think our first meeting, I think she's made four apple pies since and she's, they look exactly like mine. Um, and she's, I'm trying to expand and she's also trying to expand upon her culinary knowledge. You know, yesterday we did fish, we did fish for the first time. She never did fish next time. Uh, we'll figure out something else, but it's probably going to be something new. She's never really made before. She's probably had it, but she can't, she hasn't really made it. So it's, it's real good learning curve, you know, for her, but also for me. So I could go back, you know, to redo, you know, redo some of the old nostalgia trips. If you, if you will.
2: Chef Ethan, what would you say is the one most important food skill that you think every person, young and old should have if if in the look around you of all the things that you could teach this student or any student, what's the one thing you think we all should learn?
5: I think you know there's a lot of things you should learn. I think all of it's very important, but I think the most one of the most important things. In my opinion i would say on knife skills because that is where you know that's like uh what ramin said you can't you can't have a house without a foundation you have to have you know you have to have those basic knife skills you got to know how to cut stuff to put it you know get it ready separated organized so that way when you do make your dinner or whatever breakfast lunch dinner whatever it is you have it there and you have it cut up specifically you know the knife is really important it's also people think it's really scary the first time Yes, it is. They're, they're correct in saying that. But, you know, you have to become very, you, you get more confident as you practice. You know, the first time I did knife, you know, I almost cut my fingertip off. And I still do that every now and then. It's, but it, it's something to always learn. It's something you should always learn and, you know, keep honing that craft.
1: Jennifer, Ramin, I know, has to go. But there is one thing I want to show her before she leaves. Do you mind if I do that really quick yes, before Yes, go ahead. Are you, you serious? Yeah. I want to show her this. Oh, wow. uh, That's awesome. you can walk author to author, and then I'm going to show you, let me see if this is it right here.
3: Whether you are thinking about becoming a restaurateur, or you are already in the business, Michael...
1: Oh, oh my God, what happened? It stopped in the middle of it, Jennifer. I got to start again.
3: Whether you are thinking about becoming a restaurateur, or you are already in the business, Michael Pulitz has written a must-read, the Food and Beverage Magazine's Guide to Restaurant Success. Pick up your copy today at Barnes and Noble, Amazon, Books a Million, or wherever fine books are sold.
6: Well, that's needed now more than ever, right? I mean, there's so many people who are gonna to have to reinvent themselves or figure out what to do after COVID. And I love that the narrator said restaurateur the right way instead of putting that N in there.
1: We're gonna send you we're gonna send you a book, the publisher Wiley. You're familiar with Wiley. You're familiar with them, right? Of course, Wiley. Of course.
7: Wonderful, well,
1: you're, you're an influencer. We're gonna put you on our influencer list, Jennifer. Can we get the address for, for Ramin?
6: Well, thank you for having I
1: me. Smile. Why is she smiling like that? It's bizarre, she's like gushing. Look at it. What's wrong, Jennifer? <laughs> what, was the, what was in the pad tie? What was in the pad tie that you made?
3: I oh, know, Nutmeg. Nutmeg.
1: Nutmeg. Oh, so nice. well, thank you, thank you, Ramin. We're gonna stay with Ethan for a minute, Jen, because I want to go over few things with him and I want to about some more of his projects that he's working on in the future.
6: Thank you for having me. Thank nice you. to meet
1: you, yeah. Ethan. Nice Good to, to Nice to see you.
6: you. too. Bye-bye, everybody.
1: You know Ethan's going to get her books, aren't you? I know you. You already wrote her name down. You're ready to go. Yep. I know how you work. Yep. I know how you work. Or are you going to get some Unite Foods bars, too, right? Because Clara would have it no other way.
5: I have that on my notepad right here, yeah. You do? Oh, well, hey, you're gonna have
2: what's your signature recipe? What's your signature dish?
5: Well, my signature is good old chicken Alfredo, you know, you I got her
1: chocolate on that pad tie.
5: Yes. I'm kind of jealous. I hey, wish I had. Hey, to. So
1: I know Ethan. Do you think you could figure out a way to get the kitchen set up so you could film and talk to us at the same time? I whilst I, you're cooking?
5: Um, I think I could do that. Actually. I think I could do that on my next, on my next um, episode. If I was to ever return here, I think I could maybe find a way to set it up here. Yes.
2: Would you do that for us? Because we would love for you to recipe test with us.
5: Sure. Absolutely. Oh, really? That would be so fun.
1: Yes. Would, Ethan, Ethan would be... Because I watch his Instagrams and I may be the most important person watching his. evening I understand that. And, and, and Ethan knows that. Yeah. Have you ordered my book, Ethan? Have you told your friends?
5: Um, I am spreading have- the word uh, very slowly. I am uh, going to do it as soon as I'm done with this. Um, you know, <laughs> I have my... Barnes and Noble, right across the street. I'm gonna get the book. Well, you gotta um, call first because of the COVID. They're not sure. I'm not sure what shipped. so call first. Correct. Make sure. Yeah. yeah, and for people watching, make sure you call before you go. Make sure your Barnes and Noble has it. Jennifer, what do you? What advice do you have for the young team?
2: You know, I have to tell you, as a young person who was a little bit precocious, I did my first radio broadcast when I was nine years old, and it was like um, a glimpse at the future. And what I can tell you is when you are lucky enough to tap into something that is the true essence of who you are, the way Chef Ethan has, and you're lucky enough to find something that that makes your heart happy, you are so rich when you have that and you're aware of it and you embrace it. Well,
1: he's, he's, really, he's rich anyway, but that does, that's irrelevant. She meant rich with richness. Yes. Spirituality. Not rich with wealth, like your grandmother is. Rich
3: soul. Well, I, I
2: I'm going to, I'm going to understand that, that, that you know what I mean. The other thing that I want to urge you to do in the world of food. And we've talked about this before.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: That one of the hardest things to do is to whatever you are making to get to the standard that I call irresistible.
3: Oh, Jennifer, and there
2: he is. get to irresistible. The second hardest thing in food is to keep producing at that irresistible level so that it's irresistible every time. That's yeah. one of the hardest things to do because it, it means in the first place that you have to have the awareness and the discernment and the connoisseurship to make that happen.
5: Correct. Um, my my father does that same analogy. I'm glad you brought that analogy up. My father does the same thing with my you know, school and stuff. He's like, it's one thing to get straight A's; it's another thing to keep them. I can, I, I can put those uh, right together with the cooking. It, it, you anybody can cook, but there's that specific level. If you want to keep your high standard, it's you got to keep going at it. You got to be consistent with it. That's the hard part.
2: The second lesson I'll share with you is: if you ever taste something and you don't like it, you have to ask yourself the question: Is this? the most irresistible example of what it is i'm tasting in the world is this the world's best example of that thing because if it's not you are not allowed to say well i don't like that thing because you don't know until you try the world's best example and then if you don't like it then don't ever have it again Correct. You can't say you don't like something if you have the worst example of its kind. You do yourself the disservice of maybe rejecting an entire category of favorite foods.
5: You can show Jennifer the salt that you purchased. That you oh, used. yeah. So recently um, I was able to get a hold of some Oh, maldon. yeah,
3: the maldon.
5: Love maldon salt. Yeah. Love putting yeah. It on top of the, uh, the steak. Gives yeah. a nice crunchy contrast. So that way if you uh, accidentally underseason the meat, you have a chance to put that back in there.
3: It's the greatest I have that I
1: have, Jen, I have got so many comments coming in on how adorable he is right now. I, I can't even keep, I'm not even going to show him. But I, it's like, oh, he's so cute. Oh, he's adorable. How can I hire him? What is his face? I mean, it's, I, you wouldn't believe, but you'll see it later on, on social media. Even. Look how he looks away because he's, he knows this. He's got the
5: confidence, as you would say in France. I think that's how they say it.
2: Well, is
3: I
5: have one,
2: I have one more, I have one more idea that I, that I, uh, would like to share with chef Ethan. Cause as a young person, one of the things that I'm most struck by is his self-awareness and his confidence. This is a, this is a young person who clearly listens to his gut instincts and he has a sense about who he is and that will serve him so brilliantly. Well, don't ever try and be anybody else. Just always be yourself and always trust your gut instinct.
1: Wow. Can I follow that advice too?
2: It's too late for you, Michael.
1: Ethan, I think Ethan has known me for many, many years. Have I followed? Is that not the rule I've set for myself? Be who you are, right? It's the most amazing thing. Yeah. And Ethan has amazing parents. I mean, his dad's been a little crappy every once in a while, but to me. But, I mean, he pretends like he doesn't know me and I went to junior high with the guy.
5: But, no, just kidding.
2: Ethan, Um, Ethan, what's your favorite food to eat?
5: Can you repeat that one more time?
2: What's your favorite food to eat?
5: My favorite food to eat? uh, Yep, there it is. Steak with Brussels sprouts and mushrooms. That is my favorite. And And those
2: are not just any mushrooms.
5: Those are uh, cremini mushrooms. Wow. creminis. And that is uh, roasted Brussels sprouts with pancetta. Um, And that is uh, a nice piece of New York strip with some uh, sour cream on top because I like a little bit of sour cream on it. Um, and then that other picture that uh, Michael has up there is a creamy cheesy pasta. I can't take credit for this one. Um, I actually got it from uh, a YouTuber. I think his name is Sam, the cooking guy. Um, I got this from him. It's um, pasta with some cream, some steamed peas. sautéed a little bit of garlic butter with some uh, uh, spicy Italian sausage, some capicola and some salami. And it was really good that night.
2: And earlier this week, Chef, um, we had Farmer Lee Jones on the show from the uh, Chef's Garden and the Culinary Vegetable Institute. I would love to connect you with Lee Jones for the next time he brings young chefs out because sure. it's an inspiration to go to his place in Ohio where they really are the future of food.
1: Sure. Let's go back to the peas, Jennifer. That's innovative. People don't put peas on the plate anymore as much as they used to, right? I love a good veal franchise with peas on the side. Okay, Ethan, meal yep. franchise, peas on the side, chicken franchise, peas on the side, you know, and maybe some mushrooms, the side of mushrooms, right? Yep. You don't do that anymore. Now everyone tries to like bring it up to some whack level and you don't even need to because what, Jennifer, we talked about sweet peas the other day, right? With I mean, Lee
2: Jones, they're in season right now. You have to have them.
1: I mean, they're delicious. I mean, I get mine out of a can, but the way you guys did them were amazing. Yes. Um. You know, well, Ethan, I, what's the next, what's next for you, Ethan? We're going
5: to medical school. You're going to stay with Chef. You're going to do both. I don't know. Do? I don't know what you know. I don't know what's next for me. You know, I got it. First of all, I got to see if what well, you know what college I'm getting into first, and then oh, we'll go from there. But you know, hopefully from there, I could maybe do cooking on the side. You know, maybe have it. You know, I could still go to medical school. I could do whatever. I could also. Do cooking on the side. I could be hired by people on the side. Own
1: a restaurant. You could own your own restaurant. Own my restaurant.
5: Yes. Um, speaking of restaurants, you know my uncle. He's really an inspiration for me. He's the uh, executive chef at Bachelor Gulch Ritz Carlton in Colorado. Um, and you know he's very. He's one of my many. You know he's very inspirational to, towards me. He's you know, like I said he's given me you know seventy five to like eighty five percent of what I know. In the culinary world, and he's you know, he's helped me a lot. You know, he's helped me you know make it. You know, make it. And Jasper, Jasper's a good guy. Maybe we can have both of them on again together.
3: That'd
1: yeah, be fun. Maybe, it would be fun. I like to actually do a cook-off. I believe that Ethan can crush.
5: I mean, I mean, I made you, I made you those awesome burgers in Vegas. You remember those? I remember that. How could I not? Ethan. Yes, and I- you're always invited back to cook. Yes. I, want
2: to ask, I want to ask Ethan one last question uh, before we let you go. As a young person and a culinarian, the culinary industry has been the hardest hit by the COVID and the, the world is so uncertain. 70% of restaurants is the number bandied about, about restaurants not reopening. I have a really hard question and I've got yes. to ask it because I think you're a really thoughtful person. I'm so impressed by you. And I really want to know what you think. Are you worried right now, or do you think this is an opportunity? What are you thinking about the future right now?
5: Well, you know, I would say I'd be lying if I said I wasn't worried. Um, You know, I I am very worried, you know, for the future. But again, you know, given that most of the restaurants are closed, I think it gives people a wonderful opportunity to, you know, learn how to cook. Like, for example, if someone, you know, doesn't know how to cook and all they do is eat out at restaurants, they get chicken parmesan, they get the fish. It would be a very good, you know, it would be very good for them to learn how to cook. You know, one of my favorite, you know, vessels to, you know, learn to cook is YouTube. You can YouTube, like if you wanted to do uh, fried chicken, many fried chicken videos on there. Same thing with fish, you know, fish and chips, burgers. Everything is on YouTube. You know, if someone didn't know how to cook and they wanted to learn how to cook, I would say you could use a cookbook or you could, you know, use some online video platform. Um, you know, uh, that's, that's just, um, just
2: or any of your cooking classes on YouTube.
5: I would say it's half and half, you know, the first half is. Do you mean um, that he made Jennifer? What do you mean?
2: Yeah. Have you made your own cooking videos to teach us things yet?
5: Um, I have to tell
2: you that, Eight, nine, 10, 11-year-olds, 12-year-olds would love learning from a teen chef.
5: Yeah. So I haven't, you know, like Michael had uh, helped advertise earlier. I do my, you know, every once a week or every other couple of weeks, I'll do uh, something on Instagram. I'll come. I uh, It's called uh, Monday Night Makes. It's a little thing on, you know, my Instagram where I make something on a Monday, hence the name, Monday Night Makes. Um, and It's just something simple. Like the uh, past week I did... Uh, you know, something f- like unusual, like a, a chamomile tea. You know, you know, you can make a chamomile tea. You know, you can put a lot of stuff into it. Um, And then you can also do like a mac and cheese or a penne alla vodka, you know, all that good stuff. You know, like I said, next time I'm on here, I'll set up in the kitchen and I'll, you know, we'll go through a, a whole demo for you.
1: Jennifer, can we do what we did yesterday with Ethan? Yep. with a yeah. uh, Okay. Because yesterday we had Truffle Shuffle and they have a kit that they – you go on, they Zoom. They well, I, mean, I, can't,
2: I can't tell you that Truffle Shuffle will, will um, you know send us stuff, but I bet we can talk to them. I, about know, it. I wouldn't I have, have, them, have them, them on
1: again. I wouldn't have them on twice. They're not paying. That's I, I don't care. They're
2: stuff. so fantastic. I want to have them on again.
1: That's adorable of you know, when I promote someone like that, with, but for no money. Ethan, let's go back to you. It's all about the money, Ethan. Yes, it is. The James Beard Award winners. They don't know. They just what the <laughs> awards. E D the brain. All right, Ethan. We love you. We're going to have you back. We thank you.
5: Of course. Thank and, you guys uh, for having me. It was great.
1: Can you get more videos for us? Because we would love to show some. Maybe we'll do some catch-up videos, Jennifer. That would be really yeah. fun to sure. watch him while he's, uh, while he's doing some stuff. Thank you, Ethan. You're amazing, buddy. Thank, thank you, guys. Me. meeting. You. What'd you think of that kid?
2: He's a great huh? kid. How do you know this kid?
1: Come on. Don't worry about how I know this kid. But what I'm saying is I got an eye. I got an eye for talent, he's
3: Jennifer. got an eye for talent. Hey, I,
1: when Julia Child saw you and said, "I know Jennifer English, Jennifer, you're going to be a big star." We won from my friend Jimmy. I'm telling you, I have that eye. I could pick these kids out. When I picked all those Top Chef winners, that guy, Marcel, Marcel Valgeron, right? You ever heard of him? Yeah. Well, I was helping Top. My friend was a producer of Top Chef. He goes, "Find me some guys on the show." I was at a trade show. I saw Marcel walking by. I go, "Dude, you're going to be a new TV star." Guess what? Now he's on Guys grocery shopping and I don't even think Marcel would even remember that I picked him out of obscurity walking through a trade show as a young culinary student I discovered him tell him Jet Tila, Jet is on the show with him I'm going to text Jet right now and let him know he's chef.
2: we'll see you tomorrow, happy cooking, happy eating hug your kids and count your blessings
1: thank you